be relevant in your time so that you'll be remembered when you are no more. Hello and welcome to season two, episode 13 of our podcast series, the podcast that inspires and educates through the sharing of real life experiences. I'm Sheila, your host, and with me today is our first podcast gentleman, guest, Chad Harper, joining me remotely from Brooklyn. Chad is an educator, humanitarian, businessman, songwriter, and an American rapper. Today, Chad will be sharing with us how he uses hip hop to save life, among others. Hello, Chad, and welcome to Podcast. Hello, hello, Sheila. Thank you for having me on the show, and thank you for all the listeners. We, I appreciate your time. It's a pleasure, really. So what would your favorite quote be? My favorite quote actually comes from Gandhi, and it is, be the change you wish to see in the world. Uh, I choose that quote because that quote is what led me to start Hip Hop Saves Lives. Great. Um, I saw hip hop was not really, when I was growing up, there's a lot of different types of hip hop. There's a lot of educational hip hop, um, you know, educa- uh, black empowerment hip hop, and that kind of got phased out. So I decided to start my own organization that kind of focused on intelligent hip hop is what, is what I like to call it. Great, great, great. Let's, let's quickly move on to growing up. What was it like for you? You know, I I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in the east side suburb, um, and where we live was about a mile from the city limit. Um, And once you cross that that line, it was was a different world. Um, So with that exposure, it was kind of like growing up in the suburbs and the city at the same time. so it, it, we had a very safe environment, but you know, just a mile away, it was a different story. You know, of course, as teenagers, you want to venture across the line and see, you know, experience different things. And mm-hmm. so I kind of had like the best of both worlds. Great, great. Um, can we say that your childhood in any way, your childhood life in any way um, had an influence in your adult life? Uh, yeah. Definitely, I can say, um, well, first of all, it's an interesting fact about the, about the suburb that I grew up in. It's the longest integrated city in American history. Uh, typically in the United States, when black people start moving in, white people will start moving out. Uh, but this suburb was designed by two German guys, I don't know how long ago, probably a couple hundred years ago, um, to be an integrated city not just uh, black and white, but also financially, so that you had homes that were multi-million dollar homes and you had middle class mostly, and then you had some low income. So my high school was very diverse uh, racially and financial background. So that was a a really great experience uh, that I can say growing, you know, now now that I'm an, an adult, I really appreciate that because I had that diversity. I had friends who, parents were millionaires. I had friends who uh, didn't have a decent dinner every night, you know, before they went to bed. And, you know, that, uh, you know, huge range of, of financial background. And also, you know, we were like 50, 50% black, 50% white. It gave us an opportunity to look at people for who they are. Who their their personality, their talents, their thoughts and feelings, um, because we had friends from such diverse backgrounds. Great. Let's talk about your humanitarian work. So um, you did. You went to the business school 
if I'm right. And then you went in the entertainment industry. What happened afterwards with that? Um, well, with the entertainment industry, I decided, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, at one point I had a record deal on the table and the record deal fell through, um, which is kind of bittersweet. Um, but to kind of just take my mind off it, after that happened, I started to volunteer for a nonprofit organization called Charity Water. Yeah. And at the time, their main focus was throwing these elaborate New York City cocktail parties, uh, inviting celebrities and like kind of like upper class uh, people. Okay. And they would use the proceeds from the donations and the money they raised for these events to drill water wells in Africa. All right. Oh. Um, so through volunteering with them, I learned about the lack of clean, uh, lack of clean water, uh, not just in Africa, but other you know parts uh, of the oh, world wow. that, that have those issues. <clears throat> and it really kind of changed how I saw the world. It kind of sparked my desire to travel um, and experience uh, other countries, other cultures, other ways of life for myself. Um, so in my travels, you know, I first started traveling to Haiti and then Jamaica, uh, and then I got to Liberia, Ghana, um, and I've ended up traveling to over 50 countries. But I would always, you know, because I was a teacher of kids okay. in New York City, Great. I would always find uh, a school in the city uh, and volunteer to teach music classes, help them write songs, record songs and music videos. So my, my humanitarian work first was part of Hip Hop Stage Lives because I would always go and teach and yeah. just volunteer my time. Okay. But in 2016, I decided to move to East Africa. Um, first was I, I was in Ethiopia for about a, a month and a half, but settled in Kenya. Okay. And when I got to Kenya, I started my own program of mentoring kids that I would see beg begging on the street. Um, there was like a really kind of fancy mall that the upscale, upscale Kenyans would hang out at as well as tourists. And I would see these kids begging, you know, for food or for change. And I kind of just, you know, became their friends and would sit, take them to local food restaurants and sit down with them and eat with them and got to know their, their mothers and, and visited their, their neighborhoods and communities. And, from there, I just kind of, I was known as the guy in, in the city, as like the, the guy with the kids. Sometimes I'd be walking down the street and there'd be a dozen kids following me or hanging out with me. And uh, so, you know, I started food programs, school fees, extracurricular activities, taking them to the movies, taking them on road trips to the beach, just giving them experiences to expose them to, to things that were not available, you know, to them because so they, were, they were low income. Yeah. Great. So how did you fund these projects? Um, did you do other jobs to fund the projects you were doing in Africa or you were sponsored by a, a an organization? Or I actually had a home school in Brooklyn. Okay. So when I was living for the first year and a half, I would say I had funding from a school in Brooklyn. Okay. And aside from working with these kids, I would also travel around East Africa and record music uh, and I would work with hip hop artists and ask them to record songs that would introduce their community, their city, their culture to the kids back in Brooklyn at the school. So it was like a cultural exchange through music, through hip hop. And uh, that, that was, I, I was being paid for that and I would use 
part of my salary to, to work with the kids. And then a lot of my friends and family would see the work that I was doing and send donations over. So that helped out a lot. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. I want to ask another question, but I believe that that will um, leap into the next month. So I'm going to hold on to that until um, I listen to this. So how did uh, Hip Hop Save Life movement, how did it start? So when I was volunteering for Charity Water, the first organization, I decided to write a song about, because there was a lot of you know, education at their exhibits, um, giving people statistics about the lack of clean water and how many people in the world don't have clean water, how many children die a day from lack of clean water. So I decided to take all this information write it down and put it into a rhyme and record a hip hop song uh, called If Everybody Cared. Um, and I pressed up CDs and I took it to these events with Charity Water and we started selling the CDs. People were really moved by the song. And I remember people asking me to take pictures of me and sign me, autograph the CD. And it was uh, a really big impact. And I remember, you know, one guy I was talking to, who bought the CD was asking how much does it cost, you know, for a water well? And at the time, this organization I think was like four thousand or four to five thousand um, dollars. The guy was so moved, he was like, "I'm going to write you a check for that right now." Um, and I was like, "Wow, hip hop is saving lives!" Um, so that's where the name came from. It was just that okay. that experience. Um, and then I, I I just built on it from that from from that very moment. Great. You've been around um, Africa, a number of the countries in Africa, and there's a myth or there's a, there's a thing that goes around that people say that Africa or the African countries are poor. Well, a few of the African countries are um, developing. But what do you think? Because I know I, I come from Africa. I've lived in Africa my adult life. And I know that there are good things in Africa. Like you, you can get most of the amenities you get outside of Africa there mm -hmm. in Africa now. Mm. It's developed for me, if you ask me. Do you think is, is the way the world views Africa as so poor, as lacking in everything? I know that you had gone there to do a, a water project, but then I also, so you've been around. What do you, what can you say to people listening to us who have never been to Africa? What can you say about Africa? Because I've had a few guests here and all they tell me they, they are always going to South Africa. Right. And I believe that is because South Africa have a few of the blacks and a few of the whites. So they feel comfortable. That is what I think. Mm -hmm. So let's educate those listening to us. Let them know that Africa is a good place to go to. It's a beautiful place. They can get whatever they have wherever they are over there as well. Because you've yeah. been around. So I think it's good you can say more about that. Yes. As, as a Black American uh, who was interested in the continent of Africa, you know, I've traveled to five countries in East Africa, or six in East Africa, and four in West Africa. Um, and, you know, people have this perception. It, it, it's so ridiculous that it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. When I first told a couple of friends of mine that I'm, I'm moving to Africa, I had some friends say, well, do they, do they have internet there? Um, <laughs> I had a friend of mine say, do they have cars there? And it was so disturbing. And I was like, my response was this. You think your life as a middle-class American is better than, a, than the president of an African country? Yeah. 
Because I, if you if you think they might not have internet or they might not have cars, then you live a more elaborate life as a middle class American than a president of a nation in Africa. Yeah. And when I broke it down like that, they thought, okay, well, yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, um, I always say. Africa is the wealthiest place in the world because of its natural resources. The, yeah. the Congo by far is the richest country in the world if you want to uh, go by natural resources. Natural yeah. um, as far as Africa's development, it's just like any other country where you go to the capital city and you have beautiful cars and beautiful yeah. hotels and beautiful homes and beautiful restaurants and rooftop, uh, you know, bars yeah. and yeah. you have everything there that you have in any other major city. Exactly. But if you're, if you're in Ohio, when you go to a really small town, it's, you know, it's going to be the same in Africa. There's a lot less there yeah. the same way that there's, yeah. there's a lot less in a small town in Ohio or, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. so sure. I mean, ev everything is there. Absolutely. Okay, so um, let's go back to Hip Hop Saved Lives. Are you, are you currently doing a project uh, on Hip Hop Saved Life movement? What project is that? So this is, uh, I would have to say, this, this is my favorite project that I've done so far in, in my musical career. Okay. It's, called, it's called I Am Black American. Okay. Um, and I came up with this project. It, 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 it derived from my travels actually across Africa. Okay. Um, Black Americans, because we've been removed so many hundreds of years, we have this fantasy of like, okay, I'm gonna go back to Africa and reconnect with my roots. Okay. Not realizing that our ancestors left hundreds of years ago. Okay. So Africa has just changed okay. since our ancestors have left, okay. right? The world is so much more global. So you get to Africa and you realize, oh, well, it's, it's cosmopolitan here, just like it's cosmopolitan where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the big cities are, are, are a lot less traditional than you would think, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so this idea of reconnecting with Africa, I, I, I came to the conclusion that it's kind of like a mental piece of, knowing that we have a motherland, uh, going there to, 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 to view, just to have the experience of, I went to a hospital and every doctor was black. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are things that we can't experience in the yeah. United States. Yeah. To yeah. walk down the street and see police and not ever have to think, I could be a victim because of racism. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all these beautiful experiences that we can, have by living or visiting yeah. the motherland, but to think that um, there's some type of picking up where my ancestors left off. No, Africa's developed over these couple yeah. hundred years, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're not yeah. going to have these really deep uh, cultural experiences unless you go far out into the city, you know, far out into the into the you know, up, up, up country, yeah, yeah, countryside. Um, no, when, and which I have, um, but I feel like a lot of Americans wouldn't be that comfortable, you know, because they're, yeah. they're used to their city life. City life, yeah. Right. So for me, I developed this project called I Am Black American, 
because I was like, the closest thing for me to understand African culture is to understand my ancestors from Africa and the life they lived in the United States for the past 400 years. And as I go back and learn through the Black Americans that were here, then I can understand how Africa was 400 years ago when they left. And that's the best way for me to understand it. Going back to Africa today, you're not gonna get that experience, it was 400 years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I decided to create this project to trace my roots, you know, all the way back and document and share experiences of Africans who lived in the Americas. Okay. Um, and, and that will give me maybe the connection that I'm looking to have with, with Africa, you know? Yeah. Have you had, I know you have, you've had a lot of successes with this movement. Have you had any challenges with the movement as you worked? Uh, with it. Yeah, um, you know, hip hop has been viewed uh, in, a, in a lot of negative ways. When people hear hip hop, they think violence, they think aggression towards women, yeah, yeah. selling drugs and all these kind of negative yeah, gang-like yeah, things, yeah. which that's a part of hip hop, you know? Um, but if I always start with the origin of hip hop. Hip hop was birthed from a gang peace treaty so sure, hip hop derived from gang life in the early 70s, but it came about when gangs were tired of the fighting, gangs were tired of the killing, and they made a peace treaty and decided to party in the park every Friday and Saturday night. And all these gangs would come together and that would be the only time they had peace. They would dance, they would play records, they would rap, and it was hip hop that got the gangs to maintain the peace treaty. So yes, hip hop comes from the street, hip hop comes from gang culture, but its original purpose was to bring peace between the gangs and bring peace between the, the rival communities. So how it's kind of used today to promote gang life, promote violence, is kind of the opposite of, hip, of the origin of hip hop. So people having this misconception has been, you know, often a challenge and me having to explain this to different intellectuals, you know, I've taken hip hop to many schools in New York City, libraries, community centers. Um, I was hired to work in a lot of detention centers to use hip hop to help kids who, who had been in gangs and lived violent childhoods to help them uh, deal with their emotions and better understand the purpose of hip hop so they can help kind of do their own self healing, you know? Okay. So let's talk about how far hip hop has taken you. Hip hop saved life. This movement, it's it's taking you. How far is it? It's taking you to India. Yeah. Where, uh, yeah. Let's talk about all of that. Where it's taking you. So I, you know, I share with a lot of my kids who want to be in the hip hop entertainment business. That was my original goal, but I ended up having a hip hop nonprofit, an, an educational <laughs> hip hop career, and I, I explained to them that's my success. Um, through my Hip Hop Saves Lives, which is a humanitarian based yeah. um, curriculum, I was invited as a, as a keynote speaker to Gandhi's ashram in India. Great. Great. Uh, I was a keynote speaker in Geneva, Switzerland twice wow. at an international humanitarian conference. Uh, I was, uh, my organization was commissioned by Desmond Tutu's foundation. 
to, to write a birthday song and music video for Desmond Tutu's 83rd birthday. Wow. Um, our kids performed at the United Nations here in, in New York City. Um, so, so many, I have countless uh, experiences that have come from, you know, me using hip hop, as I say, in its original purpose to bring peace, to bring unity. Um, and again, it's mainly to help children find their self-esteem. So I help kids learn how to rap and sing and dance and perform and, you know, do poetry. And once they re realize that they're good at something and they, and they feel, um, they feel positive about themselves in one aspect of life, the principals and the teachers have said, you know, it has spilled over into the classroom. Their attendance is higher, uh, their grades are better, their communication with students are better because they feel better about themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about your educational work with people? Yes, so in, in the curriculum, what we do is we educate youth on humanitarians. So for example, I'll give the example of Charity Water because okay. that's what I volunteered for. Okay. We would find a short video online, uh, you know, maybe from Charity Water's website and show them what Charity Water does okay. and educate them on why Charity Water does this. Why is there extreme poverty? Why is there lack of clean water? And this is what Charity Water was doing. And let's take that information and celebrate Charity Water in a song and also talk, express your emotions and feelings about how you feel about extreme poverty and the lack of clean water. So we're giving these kids um, a, a global education. We, we choose humanitarians from their city, from their state, from the country and countries around the world. So they learn about all these different humanitarians and the work that they do uh, and they write songs about it and they rap and they sing and they dance and we shoot music videos. So they're getting, I guess, the attention and the outlet, you know, you're in, you're in math class, you're in science class, you're in English class. They can't wait to get to the hip hop class okay. because yes, they're learning, but they get to rap and sing and dance about what they learned. So they have that creative expression attached to the learning process, okay. which is why the children are so open. Normally if I, if you have a class where, okay, we're gonna learn about extreme poverty today. Half the kids might fall asleep. Yeah. You know, they're not really interested. Yeah. But you get to write a rhyme and be and record a song and be in a music video okay. expressing what you learn about extreme mm -hmm. poverty. You have their undivided attention. Great. Great. And that makes them remember everything about extreme poverty. It will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That is interesting. And that is interesting. Really. So let's move on quickly to your clothing line. How did that start? So this is the T-shirt oh. right here. Oh, uh, this beautiful. is our logo. Okay. And the okay. logo, the, the line is called BB Fly. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. It means Black Babies Fly. Okay, great. And it stemmed from, as I was studying, so I was, I was, as I'm working on the I Am Black American projects, you know, going back in history, studying my ancestors, I realized that some ancestors, their greatest plight was slavery. Other ancestors, their greatest plight was uh, Jim Crow uh, or the civil rights movement. My generation's greatest plight is mass incarceration. Okay. Um, so this kind of started in the 80s and the 90s. It was, you know, really big business. 
And so this clothing line is a response to mass incarceration. Uh, what I learned through my teaching was if a parent goes to prison, their child is likely to follow in their footsteps. Um, they've been traumatized by the loss of the parent. Yes. But it, and it's, it's like a lot of kids have explained it like it's like my mom or dad died, but they didn't. I just can't see them. I can't be with them. I can't grow up with them. They're not dead, but it feels like they are. So it's kind of like it's even more pain because there's no closure, yeah. you know? Uh, and these kids, it, it, it affects their self-esteem. Uh, they get involved in street life. And, um, you know, so what this clothing line does is we take 20% of our profit and we, our goal is to fund regular trips, monthly trips for that child to visit their parent while in, in prison. So to sustain that parent-child relationship, not have that huge gap, you know, I, through our research, we realized some kids go three, four, five, six years without seeing their parent because often they're incarcerated and the jail is two, three, four hundred miles away. And if you're low income, that bus fare, that train fare, yeah. the food, it's just too much for the one parent who's home still trying to keep it together. Yeah. And so we were, we, you know, my idea was like through this clothing line, if we can fund a monthly trip for this, for children, you know, to see their incarcerated parent that can sustain, sustain that relationship and hopefully break the chain of that child following in the same footsteps. So how many children have you been able to fund a trip for them to visit your parents? Well, this, this is a brand new company. We just mm. launched about two months ago. Oh, Right, so oh. we, we just started selling our t-shirts. Um, we've reached out to an organization called the Osborne Organization. They're here in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And we're gonna start funding trips for them. But because of COVID, yeah. no visitors are allowed oh. right now. So our goal right now is just to sell t-shirts, sell t-shirts, um, you know, escrow money. And then once the restrictions from COVID let children and parents, you know, visit, then we can start start moving forward. But right now, they said 90% of prisons still are no visitors because of COVID. Wow, yeah. I'm so moved by this project. And I'll be excited that our listeners will patronize your, your designs so that we'll be able to help more of these children. Personally, I'm passionate about women and about children. Yes. So anything that has to do with children, it breaks my heart, really. So I'll be excited if you know, I, I would like to have two of that. I'll get one for myself and I'll get one for my husband. Okay. So when, after the show, I'll look for a way to get some, if you, if you have them in sizes for kids as well, I'll take mm -hmm. a size as well for my son. He's, okay. he just turned seven, but he looks like a 10 year old. So he's okay. actually wearing clothes for 10 years. So if you have something in that size, I think sure. you'll take three of that and that will be our support to your organization. Thank you so much, Sheila. It's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So can you do um, a rendition for us, something about hip hop, um, sending a message out to the children, something little, so that we have an idea okay. of what exactly it's about? I'm going to see if I can remember this, because, you know, COVID, I haven't been teaching um, and performing in a while. Yeah. Um, but I have this song, it's called Peace, Love, Unity. 
Um, and the original purpose of hip hop was peace, love, unity, and having fun. So I would perform this short little rap for the kids when I would first meet them and, and introduce them to the class. So let me see if, if my brain serves me, <laughs> serves me well. Um, but it goes, peace, love, unity, and having fun. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. It was drums over guns, drums over guns. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. This is how hip hop begun. It was drums over guns, drums over guns. One, nine, seven, three, eight, eleven. Extension of the breakbeat made a little heaven. Oasis in hell, yes, we gonna prevail. But they didn't believe us like the checks in the mail. Who hurt crash course, loop back and forth. One record, two record, not a dance record, cardboard on the floor, gang bang, no more. If you got beef, better check it at the door. Homie, homie, because it's peace, love, unity, and having fun. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. It was drums over guns, drums over guns. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. Peace, love, unity, and having fun. This is how hip hop begun. It was drums over guns, drums over guns. Wow, this is lovely, definitely. So, what would your final message be to our listeners? Wow, um, final message to listeners. I would say travel has been my greatest teacher. Um, as an educator working with kids, I try to highly advise them to travel and uh, see and experience things for themselves. Yeah. For me, traveling across Africa, I've traveled across Europe, Central and South America, the Caribbean, you to experience different cultures and see how people live, yeah. um, it gives you uh, a mindset of understanding that you can't get from a book, you can't get from a classroom. Um, it's just, it's, it's priceless. And there's, those, there's no other way to get it, you know? Yeah. Traveling to Africa um, and experiencing um, you know, different, like when, when people say, what's a lot of my friends say, what's Africa like? And I'm like, yeah. well, there's 53 countries, just yeah. like there's 50 states in the US and yeah. California is nothing like Mississippi, you know? So, you know, Ghana is, you know, a lot different from Senegal. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, even close countries like going from Kenya to Uganda, the culture mm -hmm. is very different. Of course, yeah. there's similarities, just yeah. like in the US, each state, there's, there's similarities, but they're so different. You know, you yeah. can't. Um, so for me, yeah, my, my final thing would be would be to travel, 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 experience the world for yourself. Stop listening to the news. Um, I'm not, you know, of course, you learn things from books yeah. and documentaries and from the classroom. But if you really have a fascination to read about a culture through a book, or watch a documentary, set money aside to go to that place and experience it in person. Great. The people are lovely for that. I can tell you that the people are warm. Africans are warm. Yes. They are lovely, very open. There's never a boring day in an African country. There's That's always true. something to find and laugh about. So yeah. for that, I'm, I, can, I can assure you. And the weather is good as well. Yes. So, yeah. And the food is the best. It's the freshest. It is. When you eat... Um, mango and, and yeah, avocado. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just yeah. It's so, straight from the tree. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. When I was living in Kenya, I actually had a coconut, a mango, and an orange tree in my backyard. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Great. So, where can our listeners connect with you? 
Yes, you can follow on, on Facebook, look up Hip Hop Saves Lives. Okay. On SoundCloud, uh, look for the Brooklyn Globetrotter. That's okay. where my music is on SoundCloud. Um, and also my YouTube channel, Hip Hop Saves Lives. Great, great, yes. great. I'd like to say thank you very much for coming on podcast, Trishila. It was Thank a delight you. to have you on this show as our first gentleman is going down in our history books. And I'm excited you came. Thank and you your so stories much. and everything. And if anybody is listening to us, I'd like to put in a word and say that you should try and patronize your um, clothing line so yes. that we can help a lot more of the children to bond or try and connect with their parents again. Yes. And the clothing line is bbfly.live.liv. So bbfly.live. Great, great. So if you've been listening in, this is season two, episode 13 of our podcast series, where we've been bringing your way seasoned guests with inspiring real life stories to share with us. Do not miss out on all these lovely experiences. Subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. We have a video presentation of this episode on our YouTube channel. Just search for Podcast with Sheila on YouTube and you'll find us. Until we meet again in a fortnight, have a brilliant day.